Welcome back to the Longevity Muscle Podcast. I'm Kenny, your host, and today we are joined by WMBF Pro Natural Bodybuilder, judge, promoter, and gym owner, Aaron Orton. Aaron has been in the industry for a long time. He's been training for over 17 years. He has a lot of experience. We get into his training, his WMBF history, as well as his transformation that he made later in his career when it comes to physique improvements. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. This is a great fit because obviously you've been in it for 17 years competing. Yeah, long time. Long time. You just hit 40. Is that correct? Uh, I, I'm 38, 38, but we're, we're oh, almost 38. There. Okay. I'll be the big four zero, so yeah, that'll that'll be an interesting one for me. Yeah, for sure, because you're so that means you're competing. Uh, or sorry, you're turning thirty nine this year, yes. and then you have a goal set out to compete at the twenty twenty five WMBF Worlds, which I'm aware of. Uh, that's kind of my end dream goal is to be competitive up there. Um, I'm I'm very much a, a hierarchy based uh, athlete. Like you know, if you're gonna get a on stage, you know, do well novice, then do well in open, then win a pro card maybe, and then be competitive as a pro, and then win a pro show, and then then maybe try your hand at Worlds. So um, that's kind of where I'm at in my mentality. I wouldn't jump into even if I qualified for Worlds, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it until I felt like maybe I could get a top five placing. So, and do you think that maybe next year, which is 2025, uh, yeah. and I remember reading a post. That's why I was scanning through your IG. Do you think hmm. next year is the year that you would, if you do uh, qualify, you'll compete at Worlds? Is that the idea? I think so. Yeah, I think I might just finally uh, cross that uh, next echelon and, and say maybe I can be competitive with these guys um, if I get another you know year and a half under my belt uh, to to be up there. I have a lot of respect for you know all these athletes. I've seen them in person and been around them, and uh, I feel like I, I might have figured out what I need to do at this point in order to get to that level. So that would be great. It'd be a dream come true to be able to compete at Worlds. Nice, man. Yeah, I can understand what you mean by you wanting to compete and actually be a quote-unquote threat to the competition, not just stand on stage. Is that the mentality you're going in with? Uh, that That's correct. I, I kind of have the same mentality as a coach with my athletes is that there's a lot of time, effort, and sacrifice to get on stage. I, I would never want somebody to get on there just to be like, well, I, I crossed it off my bucket list um, to get on stage. Uh, you know, it's a competition at the end of the day, and you want to be competitive. And, uh, you know, even if, let's say, you got fifth or sixth out of, I don't know, 10 people, uh, if, if you're competitive, you, you look like you belonged up there, um, that's a big win to, to take away. Hey, this endeavor was worthwhile. But if you're obviously outclassed and there's a lot of people there, uh, it's hard for me to say someone should justify the expense and time and sacrifice, maybe uh, establish a little bit more of a realistic expectation. So for me, that would be the next one is to say, hey, can I can I crack that top five uh, at that level? Nice, man. Well, when I see a lot of your photos, it's very clear how much development, muscular development you have. And that's just photos, though. I've never obviously seen you in person and mm -hmm. I'm not a judge, but it seems yeah. like you got a very impressive physique that can definitely be competitive on the world stage. But obviously you would know better than someone just I looking at a photo fear. right yeah I, yeah i i i definitely have an objective eye against myself and my um you know i know my weaknesses my strengths and what i need to work on and uh i i still got a lot of work to do before i feel like i can i can get up there um but i really appreciate that and uh 
you know, it's been a slow, fruitful process uh, over all these years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, talk to the listeners here about what are some of those areas that you are thinking that require improvement? Like, are we talking about from a development standpoint, certain areas? Are we talking about conditioning, like how lean you're getting? What do you think it is for you specifically that you require in order to be at your best, if you will, to compete at Worlds and do well? That's a great question. Um, I, I guess if I was to coach myself and, and go through the you know nitty gritty of critiquing and uh, fine tooth combing uh, the physique, I would say I need to improve my upper body at this point versus my lower body. Uh, conditioning isn't much of an issue anymore. Uh, I, I wasn't knocked on that the last few times I've got on stage. Uh, usually it comes down to some of the the weakness assessment, uh, the the lower lat development thicker, lower lats, a bigger chest. It's always been my knock, Uh, just genetically not favorable, a very arm dominance. So uh, if I wanted 20 inch arms to get on stage with nothing else, I can pull that off. (laughs) But uh, the the difficulty for me is uh, just torso development, pretty narrow uh, clavicle structure and and rib cage. And so getting that up to snuff with the the guys I stand next to is, is a big one for me. I actually pulled back on uh, lower body training for the first time and I don't know forever. Uh, I'm a big advocate of lower body training. My, my gym that I own has a lot of lower body uh, equipment and it's paid dividends. But I think at this point in my career, I actually need to go down to uh, reducing that frequency and increasing the frequency in the upper body and, and, and torso development in order to have a more equivalent physique and maybe hold on to that lean tissue a little better at the very last little bit of prep. Um, most naturals uh, at a higher echelon, they they go from that 10% to 8% to maybe 6 or 5% body fat, and we start grabbing at a little bit of tissue. Um, for me, I can maintain what feels like all my lean tissue, all my strength up until, you know, about the single digit body fat. But then we start grabbing at um, the fullness and size of the upper body for me to get the last little details of the glutes in. So, um, I'm hoping the maturity in the in the years to come, that won't be the case and that, uh you know, changing this training style uh, uh, allows that to happen as well. Interesting. I would love to just dive into that training side of things because you mentioned that you're going to have to tweak or change the training up. So I'm curious, based on what you just mentioned, what's that looking like for you? If you want to sp- share some of those details or maybe give an overview, like a satellite view of what that might look like for the listeners, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, uh, whatever oh, you're yeah. comfortable sharing, sorry. And then, no, uh, yeah. No secrets here. Um, cool. For, for me, you know, looking at, you know, where, where is this weakness assessment going to be? Uh, I, I find that the overall frequency and difficulty of my lower body days does partition a lot of available nutrients and recovery for my lower half. And, and the more frequent I hit my lower half, the less likely I actually garner the benefit of uh, some heavy upper body training. And I've done a lot of training protocols from four to five to six days a week. Um, however, I've typically kept a uh, twice a week lower body training protocol, either uh, a very anterior quad focused um, leg day in the, let's say a gluten hamstring posterior focused day, or I'll have one day that's maybe a little bit uh, more compound lifts, a little heavier, a little bit more rest time. And then a day that's a little bit more hypertrophy uh, planned, but that has yielded a lot of lower body development. And I didn't get knocked on that at all this last year. Uh, but, you know, looking back, I was like, wow, it, it really was hard, especially during the calorie deficit to maintain 
the size and strength of the upper body with how hard those lower body days were. So I've pulled back from two days a week to one time a week in my lower body. And I, it's probably been in the seven, maybe eight years since, uh, I I've tried a protocol like that. Um, and I, wow, you know, I, I probably did have a little bit more, uh, chest, shoulder, back size at that time, uh, for me, because I, I, didn't go to this level of lower body training. Uh, a lot of my heroes in natural bodybuilding are just incredible athletes. And I really look up to, you know, their overall strengths of their compound lifts. And a lot of those are, you know, that lower body type of um, strength and size. And so I've really pushed hard in that endeavor uh, with great benefit. But for me, I, I haven't been able to get my body to progress like I would enjoy if, uh, Maybe I, I focused on that a little bit more. So that 40-60 split, three upper body days, two lower body days, or even four upper days and two lower days I've done before wasn't sufficient for me to make the progressions in the upper body. So uh, going down to 25% um, is the new protocol for me. Okay, so that's interesting. Do you think that it was more so the fact that the lower body days, because you had two before, like you had mentioned, from a recovery standpoint, it might have been robbing you a bit or like to have the resources to maybe contribute to some of that upper body growth because the lower body training, if done correctly, as you know, is very demanding compared to anything upper body related. It sure is. Yeah. So and, uh, would you, yeah, would you say that's accurate as far as what you might have experienced and why you trim down to also one time per week uh, as well for lower body, uh, aside from the fact that your legs were obviously just a strong point, they may be a hyper responsive body part right i i, I wish they were you know when i started oh, no. they were definitely the part <laughs> okay for body guy when i started and then you know it's been so many years now uh i think i really changed around 2000 and let's say 11 maybe 2012 uh when i uh decided my my lower body would be a, a focal point and you know it's only improved from there uh, a lot of progressive overload a lot of tracking my resistances and strengths and improving technique and form uh, has yielded what I, I want. But yeah, at, at this point, um, for me to have more progressive overload in the lower half, it is extremely demanding. And so I, I did kind of come across a couple of years ago, some some literature that showed we, we had kind of this this bro mentality, I guess, in the in the bodybuilding world that there was the upper body bro at the gym, right? The guy who never hit legs, but seemingly had a very impressive upper body. Uh, and then there was similar to showing would would this individual, if they were to incorporate more like training, be able to maintain the the level of musculature in the upper body, or would we actually see the potential for the upper body be reduced? And, and what I read was that actually we did we didn't see as much development in that upper body when we you know shared the workload, if you will. And so that really made me think, wow, you know, if I I don't want to be that guy because I've always had this big <laughs> training, but that might actually be dividends for me. So a uh, big pullback for me now is to say, you know, let's try one day a week legs. The, the leg work is substantial for that one day a week. Don't get me wrong. But uh, let's see if we can actually make some progressions in the upper body. And I've only been doing this for a few weeks, uh, but I actually have already seen a little bit more um, power and strength off of the same calorie count as I did previously when I was doing twice a week of legs. So that, that's good information for me. Yeah, no, that's very interesting to know as well, because I'm sure there might be some listeners that can relate to that if 
if they're in a similar spot where their upper body's having trouble progressing, right? And they're doing those two leg days per week and yeah. maybe their legs are not a weak point anymore or ever were. I Yeah, I just want to say that if there are people out there that are uh, having a hard time with that weakness assessment up top that they might, if their lower body's up enough, uh, benefit from, you know, reducing the frequency and volume mm-hmm. there. Uh, I know it's, for me, I know that's a little bit more of a scarcity uh, in this game for for most, but uh, the, the, the higher end um, athletes, the ones who've been at for a couple decades, uh, probably have experienced some of those more advanced uh, difficulties. And, and that's that's just one, you know, the next obstacle on the list that would come. Do you, would you say that your lower body is progressing still? Or do you find that you're just maintaining with that one time per week frequency? Again, you mentioned that it's progressive and you mentioned that there's yeah. a substantial amount of volume there that can contribute to whatever goal you have there but what do you yeah what would you make of the progress so far as far as actual development actual muscle growth yeah so uh thus far you know the program's new and there's progressive overload uh i i would say that the likelihood of going beyond where i've been is probably a bit less likely uh Mm -hmm. we might might get a little bit more out of it over a long period of time off one time a week, but uh, at the rate I was going previously twice a week in the uh, exercise variety, I, I I would say that I benefit a lot more off twice a week from my lower half. So uh-huh. in that way, if I breaking it down, you know, looking at myself objectively, if I was to maintain what I brought this last year to my lower half and just bring up my upper, I think I would be a better athlete on stage regardless. Okay. That makes sense then. So it is very goal specific, right? The the changes that you're making. And that's important for the listeners to note because if they're obviously, again, if their goal is to bring up their legs and this probably wouldn't be something that you'd want to think about or implement, right? Um, Again, if you're already doing, like let's say someone's doing a one time per week frequency for their legs and they actually want to bring up their legs, maybe, just maybe, there they could benefit from in, introducing a two time per week frequency at least uh that's the anecdotes that i've received from many of the guests that i've had on as well with the exception of a few to be fair there's a there's a few high intensity uh training advocates that we've had on the show pro bodybuilders pro natural bodybuilders that for their whole career pretty much they've trained each body part one time per week so i think that's super interesting uh, to get the different insights on how everybody's doing things. And like you said, uh, just because you're doing it doesn't mean someone should automatically take what you're doing and implement it for themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really comes down to sustainability and somewhat enjoyment. You know, you can be pretty hard-headed and stubborn like myself and say, regardless mm-hmm. of how I feel, go to the gym and get the work done. But uh, it, long-term, um, you know, you want to find something that works for you. And I, I'd say, you know, all of those ways we can uh, skin a cat, if you will. But, uh, you know, it can't be something that you're going each day to the gym with a negative mentality of, you know, I really hate this program. Otherwise, I'd, I'd say maybe it's time to shift to something that's a bit more enjoyable and that might yield uh, more progressions and just more sustainability. I like that. I like that a lot. Let's talk about the upper body now let's talk about the changes that you're going to be implementing upper body as far as the frequency like how often are you training your upper body now relative to before like is it the same and just you just reduce the lower body or how does that look just reduce the lower body uh we're at three days a week upper and one day lower which is the least frequent train program i've had in 
since about 2016, 2017. Uh, and, and I kind of personally hate it because I, I love the gym. I love training. Uh, but uh, that added recovery time, that extra day off, uh, I, I'm starting to notice about three weeks in uh, to yield some truly wonderful benefits. Uh, I, I naturally am a pretty high expenditure individual, um, you know, high step count, always training athletes and uh, right around my brain's racing and you know, pretty busy guy. So uh, getting enough calorie intake in has always been difficult for me. Uh, having that, you know, reduction of expenditure off that second leg, leg day has, has helped me, you know, with actually a little bit more recomposition, improving lean tissue and reducing body fat while I'm, uh, you know, in this progress season, uh, which usually my progress seasons are about a year long uh, before we pull off that next calorie deficit. Sometimes I can get up to, you know, 13, 14 months with progress season, but, you know, uh, I've, I've kind of tried to maintain this every two to three year, uh, competition phase, uh, since I began. Oh, interesting. So in total, you're training what, four times per week right now? Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. And would you say that for your upper body, what's the frequency like per body part? Like, are you doing, are you hitting things multiple times per week? Are you doing it more like uh, each body part for the most parts getting hit once per week? What do you like to do? I, I found the best success for me if I hit each muscle group twice a week, uh, if I'm trying to Im improve that. Uh, I've tried everything. I've tried small love junior three, four times a week hitting muscle groups. I've tried one time a week and hit uh training hit training is kind of how we started uh in the marine corps because i didn't have a lot of time to train and i was like let's get the job done quickly and uh i enjoyed not resting if you will uh, but that never yielded the size and strength gains i wanted so i had to actually increase rest and uh increase load um have some longer training sessions in order to make the progressions i needed it's not applicable to everybody but it was for me uh but from there moving forward I, I've, I've just kind of stuck with this uh, protocol weakness assessment since then. So right now it's three times a week upper body, one time lower. Uh, one day is a full upper body day where I'm essentially hitting, you know, each muscle group with one uh, or two large compound movements. And then I have a upper push day, an upper pull day, and a leg day. And oh. that's worked out. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So basically like an upper day could be like, two pushes, two pulls, a bicep and a tricep isolation kind of thing. Then you'd have your lower yeah, raises in there too. I, I need to throw a lateral raise in um, on that full upper body day as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Then you got the full lower then, and then rest days I'm assuming are, are kind of slid in wherever you feel is most appropriate. Pretty much. Uh, right now it's kind of like a, almost a one-on one-off uh, split. There'll be two days in a row somewhere in there. Uh, usually mm. the upper whole days or back to back uh rest day uh for everything else gotcha do you find that for legs as well that you feel like you need a recovery day right after not me no way <laughs> uh, interesting legs are uh, definitely a day that just makes me feel better um kind of wakes me up and uh okay. not, nothing's better to me i kind of fallen in love with them so that's why they got so frequent and uh, aggressive uh you know, it really paid dividends in terms of my mental health and, and physical capability. So I, I've done a lot of lower body days and I've, I've even tried three days a week of legs, um, but that was unnecessary for me. Gotcha. So that's not like it takes uh, or it drains your recovery so much, but maybe I'm assuming your recovery is on point as far as like if we're talking off season, not contest prep, 
your recovery is on point as far as like your nutrition's dialed in, your sleep's dialed in. I would assume these things are helping you take care of the fact that you can, yeah, you could just implement your training sessions back to back if needed and it not interrupt so much the quality of your training. Recovery has not been much of an issue for me, even mm. on contest. Uh, I I think that's just because I'm a pretty big advocate of making sure that you've crossed your T's and dot your I's across the board from fluid intake to sleep recovery, massage therapy, foam rolling, uh, mobility work, and and, and proper warm up. So uh, I it's been a long time since I feel like recovery has been an issue for me uh, in the gym. Uh, now that I've figured out what seemingly works for me. Oh, okay. So what are some of those methods? Like you mentioned a bunch there. Do you implement them sporadically when you feel like you need them? Do you have like a schedule where you're like, okay, before training, these things work really well. Uh, and then, you know, uh, on days off, this type of stuff works well. Anything like that? Or uh, I, I would say the foundational principles of, you know, a certain amount of set count per day, uh, a certain amount of sleep and take my supplements every day from, you know, the, ba- the basic uh, nutrient rich ones from a multivitamin to, Zinc, magnesium, calcium is a multi-mineral. Um, taking my creatine monohydrate, my L-glutamine, um, ensuring that I, I have you know adequate recovery in terms of days off. Uh, but even at six days a week, you know that one day off will be uh, sufficient for me when I, everything's up to snuff. Uh, my fluid intake's pretty high compared to most people, uh, and then you know I try to you know as lame as it may say, listen to my body <laughs> and, and go, you know, maybe today's not the day to, to send it. But uh, there's other days when I'm deep in prep where, you know, I kind of have to blunt that out and just send it regardless because that's what's you know, necessary of me. But yeah, recovery has been based on just what I consider to be a, a biorhythm of consistency. Uh, I, I get up a certain time of day, I train a certain time of day, I eat a certain time of day. Uh, and I, that's like clockwork. So there's not a lot of guesswork. And uh, that's that's kind of been um, what I propose to most of my clientele who are getting ready for showtime is that there's no inconsistencies. Uh, that, that seems to yield the best benefit re- for recovery. Yeah, that makes sense. And it seems like you're very regimented too, because even from the time slots that you gave me, 745, 45 minutes, like that's kind of the thing. So, and I know you have a gym. Uh, you're training clients, I'm assuming, as well, yes. or are you just a business owner? No, I I do it all. I, I own the gym. Yeah. We have 12 trainers at the gym. have uh, contest prep seminars and powerlifting meets and bodybuilding shows that we host. And uh, I train general pop. I train uh, recovery and injury prevention individuals. I train bodybuilders and powerlifters. Uh, you know, anybody wants help, and I'm you know, I, if I've got the skill set to do it, then then I'll be there for them. Nice. Yeah, for sure. We'll make sure to plug in your, we usually do this at the end, but we'll make sure to plug in your uh, gym, your website, all that good stuff. If people want to get in touch with you for anything, training, contest prep, coaching related. So that's uh, definitely going to be there in the show notes for anyone listening. But what I wanted to touch on was, because you were talking about like your sessions can get pretty lengthy. So let's go back for a second. Two things. What time of day do you, have you found works very well for you as far as training? And have you found, have you experimented with that, like morning versus afternoon versus evening? Oh, yeah. And one being better for you and for specific reasons why? I'd love you to get into that. And then how long do your sessions last? Okay, that's a great question and definitely something I, I'm pretty keen on. The The majority of individuals, it comes down to the, the goal. So I, I, I'm not very uh, much a, hey, you need to lift at this time of day. First, I look at goal setting. If 
someone is a strength or power athlete, uh, or we're shooting for progressive overload. Uh, I'm not the biggest advocate of first thing in the morning training, uh, because the amount of calorie intake is pretty, uh, reduced. Uh, if they're getting them at 5 a.m. to go to gym at six and they're telling me they want to deadlift 600 pounds, the likelihood is less that they're going to have the, the body temperature, warmth and intensity to do so versus training in the afternoon or evening. However, my individuals who are endurance based, uh, my triathlon athletes and, uh, those who are getting ready for marathons, um, I'm actually a bigger advocate of their endurance training taking place upon waking. Um, they, they usually benefit a little bit more. So uh, the answer is, you know, it depends on the, the specifics of the goal. For myself, I train these days in the afternoon after about three, three and a half meals. Um, for me, that's both uh, to break up my morning workload of clients and evening workload. Um, can I get my mind right and take a little breather between those training sessions? But on top of that, um, where I am now at my, my age and in my profession, uh, it doesn't impact sleep if I train at 2 p.m., which is where I'm at now, versus when I used to train in the Marine Corps at like 6, 7, 8 p.m., and I could just eat a meal and go to bed. Uh, I found that, you know, I've, I've trained at every hour of the day, tried it all. My morning sessions, I'm, I'm just far less likely to make the progressions in terms of strength than I am after uh, a few additional meals and, and just higher body temperature and alertness. So I've made those changes. I implement them with my athletes um, who are looking to make specific goals happen. So that's, that's one thing that I found a lot of uh, people need to hear because they, they just assume, you know, Hey, you know, regardless of, time, regardless of calorie intake, my progressions will be equivalent. Uh, the answer is no, they probably won't be if, you know, we, we test this out. And I've had a number of individuals who have challenged me on this. And then we, uh, we, we had them shift their training to evenings who have had a hard time with progressions and voila, they, they've told me, okay, you're right. Um, I was a lot stronger in the evening when I'm doing my you know, large compound lifts versus first thing in the morning. That is interesting. And again, it is definitely individual specific because obviously if you have someone working manual labor and they have a whole mm -hmm. day of manual labor doing construction or something like this, then maybe evening might not be ideal for progression. Maybe it is the morning for them because you're kind of picking your poison there. Both would are suffering, but probably the morning will be better than the evening in this person's case. So for anyone yeah. listening, if you're doing a very intense manual that involves manual labor a very intense job that involves manual labor physical job maybe that doesn't apply maybe you've tested it but i just thought it'd be worth mentioning versus maybe someone who's doing a desk job or maybe a trainer right who's yeah you're you're on your feet but you're it's not like you're exhausting your system you know do, lifting heavy objects all day so that's one thing i wanted to mention and add to your point sure. there but also what i wanted to say was Actually, what do you think about that? What I just mentioned? I think it has to be based on, you know, all those criteria. So if their occupation is sedentary versus intense, uh, and also, you know, where it is in terms of their, their lifestyle habits and their uh, goals and needs. So if they're a family individual who's like, look, you know, eating times for my family, I'm not going to strip that away from them. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a balancing act. Uh, and I'd rather have somebody be able to be maybe, you know, 80, 85% optimal versus 100% uh, optimal for a few weeks before they drop off. So if, if it's like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do what we need to do in order to get to this goal. It's a balancing act for the majority of people. Uh, and, and you don't want to, 
uh, overshoot and, and cause resentment because, oh, you know, this has become a priority where I get off work after a 12 hour day, then I go to the gym, I never see my wife or kids. That's when we, you know, start brainstorming. Maybe there's a more realistic outcome. Maybe our goals won't be hit as quickly, but your uh, balancing act will be uh, a little better off and therefore we'll be able to sustain this. And it really comes down to that. Can it be sustained? Uh, if, if the goal is, hey, I want to lose 100 pounds and uh, this individual drops 50 immediately uh, too aggressively and decides I'm quitting, I'm, I'm running away from this goal versus the person who took a little longer period of time and dropped, let's say, 75, 80 out of that 100-pound goal and kept it off, who, who's more successful? Uh, the individual is able to sustain uh, progression. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, while, while these are generalizations, uh, we really break that down in coaching and training on, you know, is this realistic? Uh, and, and if so, uh, let's see if we can rinse and repeat uh, and, and start making small little fine tuning when, when needed. Yeah, that's great, man. That's a uh, great point you brought up there. You know, it's funny, I've experimented with the with what we were just talking about. And I've also found that like, it, it depends on the session itself. Like, obviously, someone has a busy day, but their session involves mostly, I don't know, maybe it's an arm day, like maybe someone is dedicated, has a dedicated arm day for their goal for their purpose. I find that I could do that any any time. And it's no problem for me. From a mental point of view, from a physical point of view, I'm like, I could throw this in at 5 a.m. if I wanted. It's no problem. I'd be excited to do it and I'd progress no problem. Versus something like you mentioned where, hey, we got to do like 600-pound deadlifts today. No, that means that that is a different thing, right? So it depends on the session too, I think, um, because I found that obviously if I'm doing like a heavy upper day and there's like a bunch of heavy presses and, and heavy pulls, then I'm not doing that in the morning. Personally, I'm waiting for the afternoon. That's like my my time that I enjoy too. But I'm, I also have a very similar background as yourself. Like I started as a trainer. So that was like the time I always trained. It broke up my day. It was a very nice time to go in, train. The gym is empty. Like there was a lot of advantages to doing it at that time. So um, how long do your sessions last? That was, a, that was the other question. My own training or for training others? No, for your own training, because you were mentioning that they can get pretty lengthy. So I'm kind of curious, so like just the total amount of time that you're that you're spent training. And I'm not talking about like the actual work, but also the re- with the rest periods combined and everything. How long would you say your sessions are at this point? Uh, because it's four days a week and I've got two kind of uh, big days right now, that, that full upper body day and that full lower day. Uh, those days can be a little lengthy. I'd say they're probably 92, gosh, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, an hour and, and 45 minutes um, mm. on those days. But uh, my, my upper push up full days, I could probably punch out in an hour uh, because they're a little bit more specific. And uh, that, that seemingly does well for me. I'm not a three hour in the gym type of guy, although I've had clientele and trainers that are uh, and more power to them. But uh, that, the, that seems unnecessary for me as a guy who has a hard time putting enough weight on. Uh, <laughs> expenditure is definitely not a difficulty for me. Uh, so uh, I, I try to find that balancing act, especially since my schedule is so full. Uh, got to train, got to eat, got to get back to work. Uh, and, and that's just uh, the, the balancing act I found. Uh, going back and looking back at previous history when I was into powerlifting a lot, I found that those training sessions could get pretty lengthy because the recovery and rest times were so great. Um, you know, if I had a, a eight by three day of squats just to start the day, that 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 took some time, uh, and then I had to move on to my uh, accessories. So, um, I, I, I've seen benefits from that, but I saw 
joint repercussion and connective tissue issues, along with not a lot of hypertrophy response, but a lot of strength. So there's benefits there. Uh, I learned after a while, though, I wasn't ever going to probably be a higher uh, uh, higher end power lifter. Uh, I enjoyed it. I loved learning about it. And I had some athletes who definitely could benefit from my experiences. But uh, bodybuilding seemingly came a little bit uh, more naturally and, and, and I was a little bit more gifted there. So uh, I, I switched that over around 20. 18, 2019, I said, okay, we're just going to do bodybuilding from here on out. Okay, gotcha. Do you have a favorite body part that you enjoy training most? And does that reflect the development? I don't. I think I love them all equally. I love to challenge everything equally. Uh, maybe in terms of sense of well-being, I enjoy legs the most, though, just because I, I feel like the most work was done and I feel the most accomplished. So there's a psychological benefit there. But uh, in terms of going into each lifting day, uh, they're pretty equivalent at this point. Um, I, as long as I'm challenged, as long as I'm progressing, um, the sense of well-being is pretty equivalent on uh, upper body days. That lower body day has a, you know, a little uh, pays a little bit more dividends long term. But uh, overall, not not as much as I used to. When I was younger, okay. I could definitely there was a couple muscle groups I enjoyed the most. Got it. Got it. Eric, he sent me this post of yours, and I thought it was it was very interesting because yes, you are obviously later in your career. Later, well, you've been doing this for quite some time. Let's say you're approaching forty now, and you made quite the transformation between 2021 and 2023. And he sent me this post. And maybe you know which one I'm talking about, where you had uh, spoke about the fact that there was like a comparison between 2021 and 2023 and you taking 20 months, like there was a 20 month difference. Do you know which post I'm yeah. talking about? I, I think I do. Yes. Yeah. So basically, and you were talking about how you didn't miss any workouts and you had a very strict program, which we discussed, but it would be great for you to dive in, maybe elaborate on that post, because obviously you can only talk about it so much via an Instagram post. So I think it'd be cool for the listeners, for someone who is 38, approaching 39, heading into his 40s, you made quite the transformation from 2021 to 2023. And the physique really showed, at least in these pictures, I think uh, the second competition was the WMBF Muscle Mayhem. And then the first one was, it looks like an, uh, is that a WMBF show as well? I think so. Yeah, that show was the uh, Washington State Natural in 2021. Got it, got it. Yeah, and obviously the the lighting's a little bit different. The tanny, the tan looks a little bit different, but it does look. Yeah, it looks like there's some quite a bit of differences there as far as even development, at least. But again, it's hard to say via pictures. Why don't you break <laughs> that down for the listeners who, yeah, maybe they're uh, where you're at and they think that they they're done putting on muscle because they've been doing this for 15 years. What do you have to say to that too? Oh, it, it can sure feel like after about eight, 10, 12 years in the natural bodybuilding game, that uh, results are really hard to come by, which they are. Uh, you, you really have to not allow yourself to look at a progress season, like a, a break. That was my mistake. I'd say previously I would say, Hey, we can have some leniency here. We can, uh, skip a couple days in the gym. We can uh, miss a couple days of supplementation. We can, you know, uh, miss out on sleep or maybe have a few beers. Or, um, I mean, we we talk about that 2021 show that I I had lost in that left photo uh, was at that time the best physique I'd had. But I got beat um, in my lower body actually by another athlete, and 
a week beforehand, I had done a, another show and I had gotten beat by um, another athlete just barely as well. Both were on the posterior side. So we had, um, uh, they said my mid back was beat by this other guy. And then they said my glutes and hamstrings were beat by um, an athlete in the Washington State National Show. So I I was upset. Uh, these are areas that <clears throat> I've always considered to be strengths. And if I really put my effort into it, I, I was like, I could blow these strengths up. We could we could really bring it, but I didn't want to be disproportionate. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go into this mentality of this progress season. If it can grow, I'm going to make it grow. And I'm not going to miss a day. I'm not going to miss a workout. I'm going to look at this progress season like it's um, – a contest prep, uh, that level of rigidness, uh, which, you know, I, I would usually tell my athletes and myself, Hey, it's time to have a little bit of a breather. Let your, uh, let your mind get right. And I really didn't. I just said, you know what? I want to see what's possible. If I have a calorie surplus and I cross all my T's, dot my eyes, not letting myself have a, a break and, and really having strict programming and adhering to that. Um, and, and the results showed in, in the changes there. Uh, I felt like I made more progression in that uh, 20 months than the previous four, maybe five years uh, prior to that 2021 show. So um, that was a learning experience for me. It made me say, hey, you know what? Um, the game's not over yet, if you will. So that's fascinating because not many would take that mindset with the off season. Like you mentioned, they look at the off season as a time, maybe to breathe a little bit more, maybe not be as strict. Hey, I'll let the workouts roll over to the next week. If I'm feeling a little bit drained or maybe I'm not recovering as well for whatever reason, life gets in the way, whatever it may be. But no, you said that you took this like legit, like it was a contest prep, which yeah, from what I've heard, the stories I've heard with contest prep, you, you don't want to leave any stone left unturned as far as all the things that you can do that are within your control. Workouts, like scheduled workouts and not missing them, that's a big thing. But let's touch on that because I'm curious about when you say you didn't miss a workout, was that something you were doing regularly prior to the 20 months? Like, can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. I, I've always been one to say, hey, you know what? Uh, we can go by feel a little bit more in the progress season it, where let's say I'm not feeling up to par, up to snuff. Um, it's a difficult day. Uh, fitting that workout in might be pretty tedious and difficult. Uh, I, I would prior to that prep and, and that progress season say, hey, it's OK if, you know, that fifth workout of the week, we're going to push a couple days forward. Um, or I'm going to not track my protein, carbs, and fats as tediously, or I'm going to, uh, you know, miss a day or two of supplementation. It's just a multivitamin. It's just, I don't know, fish oil and vitamin D and zinc. You know, I'm uh, that, that prep, I said, no, I'm going to see what it's like if I don't allow that leniency. If it's that rigid, if this progress season doesn't matter if it's, you know, the dead of winter, uh, I'm going to find a way to the gym. I remember driving to the gym on some pretty poor days and, and getting my specific training login um, at the specific time of day uh, with my supplementation at the gym because I was like, you know what, I, I'm not going to allow myself to leave a stone unturned. And uh, that's that's what I felt like really made the change for me is that level of discipline and it paid off. Right, right. Okay. And are you still implementing that now? Because obviously we're past 2023, we're into 2024. You're off, Are you in the off season at the moment? I'm, I, I'm, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I will say that I actually, after the last three years, have said, you know what, um, because I, I do a lot uh, besides, you know, bodybuilding, uh, this this last few months has been very family and gym focused, um, giving them that level of attention and, and love and time and trying to get the um, facility to that next level and, and try to get to the, the family time. Uh, a little greater. So I haven't worked, I haven't skipped my workouts. Um, I will say there's been some leniency though, when it comes to um, sacrificing some sleep for family and work and uh, having more stress on those things versus the stress of bodybuilding this go around. You know, I don't want to be the father who, uh, you know, isn't, isn't there for the kiddos and, and, and the, the owner of the gym who isn't there setting the example. So uh, I'm allowing my my brain to have more direction towards those things. Uh, if I was to say, hey, what's what's priority up here? Uh, that would be the case presently, uh, simply because I think those can be optimized more. Um, and if I put that level of love and effort into them, that'll be really fruitful for me. I, I do think that that'll switch over here probably by the summer where I feel like, okay, everything's Everything's working grand. Uh, let's go ahead and make that switch again. Ah, okay. I gotcha. Well, I guess, yeah, the big thing is at least you're not missing any workouts. Like maybe you were doing the more intuitive or yeah, just going based upon how you feel. You're still not, you're, you're basically still implementing that portion of it, which is a big thing. But I also, um, I'm curious how the 2024 or sorry, 2025, when you get back yes. on stage, that's the goal to the 2023 shots will be with this more, I guess you could say, uh, shifting your priority, which in a way would actually decrease stress to an extent as well. Cause you said mm -hmm. that there's stress, but if you think about it, like if your family's taken care of and your work is taken care of, then in a way it's also decreasing your overall stress. It's like almost like a wash or Hard yeah. to say, but I think there's value to, of course, a big value to that. And it's an important thing because obviously that's the priority anyways, right? We, we do this as a hobby. It's uh, our passion. Uh, and I'm, when I'm saying we, I'm, I'm speaking for the listeners yourself who compete, of course. It's uh, important to mention that uh, you don't want to put competition necessarily on the forefront all the time. You have periods where you're doing it, which I think is valuable to mention, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that that's kind of been what I've been watching and listening and hearing. And, you know, if my kids tell me they want more time, I'm going to give it to them. Uh, they, they are so involved in the bodybuilding scene now uh, with us putting on shows and attending shows and, you know, watching shows um, that, that they, you know, they get the gist of it. Uh, it's, it's part of their life and, and it's part of our gym's life, even though that's not the majority of our clientele. Uh, I always say, you know, eventually if you're with me long enough, I'll probably get you on stage because uh, most of the people I work with, we do try to establish these goals and, and, and achieve them. And then once those goals are achieved, well, what's next? And, and most people, um, if they're type A, they're, they're going to be like, you know what? I, I think I figured it out. I think maybe this is a reality for me. And it's really cool to see uh, that transformation, even if it takes, you know, five, 10 years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes it's just also, I guess, for in your experience, maybe you can um, speak to this, but someone who comes, who starts their journey off lifting, and then they start getting coaching from you. They never had the ambition to compete, but then as they start developing themselves more from a 
not only on the psychological side of things or the nutrition side, but even from like, hey, your physique is actually improving. They get excited. They get motivated. They get inspired by your journey, I think. And that also probably plays a role to an extent. Um, But what do you think about that? How much of an impact do you think that has? I think it has quite a bit of an impact. I I have a lot of trainers uh, at our facility where I probably see that the most who started with us and decided to compete and have been I've gone to be very successful. And uh, we have Matt Connell. She's a WNBF world champion figure pro. Uh, Zachary Belknap's a three-time WNBF pro uh, winner. And uh, we have um, a few other trainers who are, you know, really big into things like triathlons and, and, and powerlifting. And uh, we, we really feed off each other when it comes to their passions of uh, how bad do you want something? Because clients will begin to ask, hey, you know what? How's your contest prep going? Now, how are things going? You're looking crazy. Wow, last time I saw you, you know, you weren't this lean. Uh, that inspires them, I noticed. They they pick that up and they put it in their back pocket and they go, wow, you know, with how busy they are and they can get it done. Uh, I could probably uh, put my effort towards these goals as well. And, you know, I, I really enjoy seeing that transformation in people's uh, journeys. Uh, and uh, sharing those journeys together because that's really what it's about is challenging yourself and learning and, and bettering yourself in the process. So yeah, it, it's it's really beneficial for all parties. Yeah, no, for sure. When I hear stories like that, or when I see it led by example, like yourself and so many others in the industry at the level that you're competing at, um, when they have like a family and they have other responsibilities, they have a business, you have a gym, and you're still crushing it from a an athlete side of things. That is the coolest thing because then you're like, okay, what's what's my excuse? For example, right? If if you're doing that with kids and a family and a gym and uh, you know the list kind of goes on, well, then if you if, if you can make it happen is is kind of where I'm going with this for anyone listening who is like, oh well, I'm just maybe maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time. You know, that's that's a thing that I've always told myself, but. When is the right time then? If, especially if you don't have a family and yeah, okay, maybe you're focusing on different things right now, whether it's business, but eventually you got to prioritize and you can fit it in if you, if it's something you really want to do, right? And then you'll prioritize it. So, but uh, that's just something that came to my mind listening to your listening to your experiences there with your clients. So what I wanted to touch on to go back for a second was the training because you mentioned like you brought up your mid back that was an area and your legs like yeah. during that 2021 to 2023 period let's talk about specifics like maybe there's listeners that are curious i'm curious was there anything specific you did on the training side of things to help bring those areas up like in that off season 20 month period yes uh i never really was ever critiqued on my hip structure because it's a it's a dominant area of mine and so when i got beat by you know, my, my glutes, uh, by another athlete, I was like, that's never happened before. Uh, and I was like, well, they're, they're not a weak area. So let's see if I can, uh, really work on prioritizing with area. And I did. And, and I, I, I utilized specific exercises I would utilize on like my bikini or my wellness girls and put them towards me. Uh, and I said, you know, what? I'm going to do progressive overload on this. And I probably had some kind of hip thrusting variation for that 20 months straight with progressive overload to the point where I was handling ridiculous loads with ridiculous time under tension in order. And I, re- I kept repeating in my head, like you got beat here and, and you're not going to stop until it's better. 
uh, and, and I'd say this last year, uh, that was not an area, regardless of stage, that anyone beat me on. Um, so I was really, really excited to see that progression come up. Uh, those exercises included anything from uh, heavy Bulgarian split squats with a safety bar to uh, banded tempo hip thrusts with like a three-minute time under tension per set to um, – you know, anything from barbell lunges to deep squats that are paused and a lot of front squats as well. And uh, my mid-back was an area that I realized I was becoming so Latin trap dominant in my training that I didn't really work on retraction of scapula much anymore. So uh, we put that back into the, the mix and did a lot more bilateral rowing movements that were not necessarily uh, as heavy, but uh, didn't allow the lats and traps to take over, uh, specializing in that area. So uh, there's a lot of progressive overload there. And so everybody says, you know, turn around and win uh, in bodybuilding shows, you know, the backman shows. Uh, that was definitely my strength this last year. I had so many people be like, what did you do uh, for your, your posterior chain? So those exercises and just never giving up and, and, and pushing during that progressive overload uh, paid the most dividends. Okay. And as far as if we're talking about hard sets, like okay, we got the execution, you know, you, you touched on that exercise selection, but if we're talking about the amount of volume for a second here, and we talked about frequency last time, uh, I'm assuming yes. you were doing the two leg days at that point, right? Like we're talking about yeah. during that 20 month period, it was two leg days a week. Yes. And the biggest change for me was putting my, my, my posterior, my glute and hamstring based leg day uh, at the start of the week versus ah. at the end, like I, Previously, uh, that that was a little bit more energy conservation for such that allowed me to get a little stronger there, uh, but didn't really affect too much the quadriceps. Uh, I still was able to train those pretty hard. Okay, and was it still the uh, upper, lower, and then the push, lower pull? I'm I'm assuming that's what it was at that time, or was it something completely different? Uh, I think I did a fat program like that for one of my. Uh, 12-week cycles where it was full upper, full lower, day off, upper pull, lower pull, upper push, day off. Uh, and then I also had a six-day-a-week uh, push-pull leg split. Um, and I think there was one more in there that I did where I had, interestingly enough, a uh, kind of like a one-and-a-half leg day situation, a full leg day, and then a um, – back and gluten hammy day at the end of the week and then in the mix there i had uh chest shoulders arms for a few times okay and that was all during that 20 month period like where you kind of went between these splits yeah or? yeah i probably do 12 to 16 weeks per training split and then once my large compound movements are maximized i can't seem to put any more uh, weight on the bar um if enough of those compound lifts are plateaued then i'll switch the programming okay interesting and what would have made you transition from the five day per week to the six day per week like what was there a specific or logical reason why you would go from that amount of frequency to that amount of frequency when we're talking about five or six yes yeah, so if recovery is an issue or if i'm um needing to let's say burn more calories i start prep usually if i'm like okay it's time for a mini cut or it's time to uh get ready for a show time. I usually do move to six days a week. Uh, with, that way I, I find, um, I'm able to sustain my lean tissue and my strength, but I 
burn quite a bit more calories. Like I spoke last time, that that's never been much of an issue for me. So I don't really incorporate much cardio at all in any of my programming. If I'm training six days a week at the intensity I do, that usually will will be enough to have a calorie deficit with just um, a little change in macros. Uh, other than that, you know, five days a week, uh, if I'm trying to gain weight, is is where I'll usually move. Uh, obviously, right now it's four days a week to see if that can do something new. But uh, five days a week was what I think my whole progress season was previously um, in order to fulfill those progressive overload sets. Got it. Got it. And uh, so back to where I was going with that was like the hard sets. Like if we're talking about like hard sets per exercise, what yes. are you averaging? let's say per exercise and does it change depending on of course the body part you're trying to improve or the exercise itself typically i i have a resounding uh top set only is my failure set uh i i've trained every which way you know lots of sets that are like three sets at nine percent um but i i don't know there's a little bit of a uh a mental uh, accomplishment for me when i'm like okay you know my I have three sets on exercise and that first set for me is like a proprioceptive set and I'm just aware of the the, the fundamental movement and the contraction. The second set is a a working set, but it's not going to be something that provides any progression. Uh, I'm going to get definitely warm on it. That final set is usually the set that I'm sending it on. Um, but I, I can't hit multiple sets if I'm really going to push, you know, an RPE, you know, nine or 10 um probably not going to get under that weight and do that again especially under a calorie deficit so that's always worked well for me mentally uh there's been a couple exercises and i think in my head there was a uh a, a larson bench press which is like straight out bench press that i had in there that was three sets of eight uh at that time but that was probably the only exercise in which i had those uh multiple like 90 percent sets but i typically train with that top set only approach where that is the set where I'm shooting for progressive overload. And then the next week I'm putting more weight on the bar. Oh, interesting. So basically you will increase the load appropriately each set until you get to that top set. You'll hit yes. that for to failure and then you'll move on to the yes. next exercise. Correct. Oh, okay. So it's really a, and then in, from what I'm hearing, it's like, if we're talking about a traditional high intensity training approach, sounds like that's what it is. I mean, aside from maybe the frequency of what's traditionally has been, uh, we'll say advocated aside from Dory Nates, who's advocated or not advocated, but did himself a four time per week frequency for the most part. But is that, is, were you inspired by that to some degree, like a Dory Nates, um, blood and guts, high intensity training? Is that what inspired this approach? DC training? What was it specifically where you landed on this? I, I would say looking back after all these years, that was definitely one of the training styles that just came most naturally for me. Uh, so it was maybe a little bit more um, uh, time uh, intensive where I just felt like I wasn't uh, taking these three, four, five minute rest times, like a power lifter. That's, that was cognitively very difficult for me always to just sit around. Um, but yeah, I can get more work done in a short period of time, and I feel like I can still make progressions. But yeah, that that, that final set being my um, complete failure set was inspired, I would say, by by during the high intensity training more than maybe any other individual. If I was to look back, okay, interesting. And 
So you, we were talking about the length of time, like how long the workouts take, about 90 minutes, some workouts 60, depending on the workout, an hour and 45, really depends on the workout itself. But how many exercises would you say a typical workout might have? So, well, I know they're all different, but let's just say, let's take an example, like your full upper day. Like, mm. what, what does that look like? Because we, we know it's one top set to failure. Yes. Like, that's what you're working up towards. So what would a... Like, what's that sweet spot for you as far as total exercises in a given workout with this approach? Maybe if it's a full upper day, we're probably around seven exercises for like four sets each. Okay. And four sets each, um, that's, again, building up to that top set. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So basically like one all out set. Correct. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. And is that typical for all workouts, like seven, seven exercises you find is kind of where it's at? Or is there like a range typically where you're like, you're tapping out or. I would say six or seven, six, probably if I'm doing like an upper push day, uh, there'd probably be six and then, uh, upper pull day would probably have six, but if you're on a full upper day, you'd probably have seven or a full lower day would probably have seven. Um, if I do a quad-based day, uh, that'll be probably around five or six. And then same thing with hammies and glutes. So if I if I have a multiple muscle group day, I'll probably have an additional exercise in there. Yeah, that makes sense. Like we were talking about, again, about the upper day. It's like you throw laterals, a, a bicep, a tricep, mm-hmm. four compounds, and there's your seven exercises. Correct, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah standard. Uh, cool, cool, cool. And, you know, I was watching or reading another one of your posts about like you're okay. Would you say your arms are genetically a strong point for you or would, did you really have to like put in a massive amount of work for that? Very much so. Yeah. I think that they, they responded initially, um, very quickly. Uh, I think when I first started, I was in Iraq and I was lifting and I think my arms jumped up like three inches before anything else really responded at all. So it looked very disproportionate. Um, I think I was like a hundred and I don't know, 50, four pounds at 5'11 and had like 16 inch arms. So, you know, it was very, very silly looking, uh, looking back, but it wasn't like I was just training arms. I was training everything. I just mechanically uh, utilized them as my, my leverage point uh, so easily. So yeah, arms responded really well initially and they still do. There's, there's been periods where I've not done any arm training for, I don't know, six to nine months. And nothing's changed. Um, I, I would say they could have probably progressed a little bit uh, in terms of proportion and size. I, I don't think that they made much of a regression. And if they did, then throw them a couple arm days and I'll be back to stuff. Nice, nice. I love that. That is a nice problem to have for a lot of naturals. At least I feel like that is not a strong point. Uh, yeah. But maybe that's just who, from who I've spoken with for the most part and what people complain about online. <laughs> Right. Where like, <laughs> like our arms or something where it's like, from what I've heard people complain about, it's like, yeah, so people complain about that, them being non-responders or, you know, they've tried everything and their arms won't grow. But uh, I don't know if you're the right person to talk, talk about arm progression then, because they're naturally a strong point for you. So hey, I think it just comes down to mechanics and yes, Jake's played a role, but the majority of people I train and I look at who body build. Uh, if you look at how they fundamentally move their body, uh, typically we have either torso dominant individuals or arm dominant, arm or shoulder dominant individuals. And so it comes down to how they, um, uh, they, they, they lift the weight, you know, right off the bat. If, if they're, they're moving through their shoulder girdle and not initial bicep curl, then well, here's a reason why we're, uh, retracting from bicep engagement and same thing with 
triceps. A lot of people have their 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 lats take over their posterior deltoid when they uh, when they're doing a tricep movement. So I'll make a lot of those corrections and say, hey, we're going to move through the elbow joint and fix the shoulder joint here. Uh, to incorporate more hypertrophy at the arm, that came naturally for me. Like I, oh. I think at one point, I was, my, my elbow joint was far stronger and, and stable than my shoulder joint, which is not uh, something that is is commonplace. Nor I, I felt like helpful for me initially because my first bodybuilding show, I I thought I had a great back and chest and shoulders, and I got on stage and they were non-existent in the photos, but I had decent arms, and <laughs> it's like, well, there's there's a problem I need to fix. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, not I guess. A lot of it can be. Well, for the first thing within your control, what is that? Well, yeah, the execution, exercise selection, and then nutrition to an extent. But if that's all taken care of, then yeah, then then it's the selection and execution, of course, uh, that most people like. If, for example, if all your presses turn into a close grip press, and yes. you feel triceps for the most part, I mean, I'm sure that's going to have an influence on someone yep. having maybe more developed, more time about development, their arms being more developed than say their chest, for example, if they're struggling to grow their chest, like if they're the reverse of what we were talking about before, where that is the case. I Was that the case for you as well? Like if we're talking about your compounds, were you naturally just feeling your arms as well when you were doing those lifts? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I think that I could, I, I could definitely underhand bench or close grip bench the same amount as my regular bench was. And um, same thing with my pulling movements is very elbow dominant, a lot of bicep engagement with my, my, my rows and my pull-ups and uh, my lat pull downs. So, uh, it actually took many years for me to identify those biomechanical factors so they go, okay, I need to shut this area off from assisting and really focus on the target muscle group. And that was uh, a big change in my program. I'd say 2011 was when I said, okay, uh, we're going to do a lot more torso dominant work and uh, leave arms as an afterthought. And then looking back, I was like, wow, I was probably hitting arms four times a week because I was doing four upper body days. And they were also dominant. I would dare say they were just, they were just arm days initially. And uh, that, that really changed as my uh, education improved and my contest experience. Okay. Yeah. That's a great point you brought up because if you are training upper body, say three, four times per week, and they're not necessarily like full upper days, three, four times a week. They're kind of like how you mentioned, then exercise execution really does have to target those areas more because there's going to be overlap regardless. So your exercise execution becomes even more important for you not to get that additional stimulus for things that you don't necessarily want it for. Like we were just speaking about, like if you're doing your presses or your pulls and then everything becomes an arm exercise, well, now you just hit arms pretty much like you mentioned three, four times a week for the most part, right? Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. that was very important for me to understand. And I can apply that now to my clientele when we do their body composition updates and we can uh, assess weaknesses for their program design. Uh, the, the exercise prescription will be based on that. Gotcha. And um, also if like we go on the other, the reverse side of things where you're actually really good at engaging with your chest or your back and all your compounds. It's like, nope, I feel it in my lats. I feel it in my traps. I feel it in my pecs. You feel everything in the right areas, goal specific. It's on point. And your arms are lagging. Maybe you would benefit potentially from an arm day at that point where everything is directed specifically to elbow extension, elbow flexion. Oh yeah. Right. So I find it's uh 
whoever's listening, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, assess your goals and figure out what it is you need. And uh, if you need a coach, we got the links in the bio, so you can always reach out. I'm assuming you're doing one-on-one coaching as well, right? I, I do, Kenny. Yeah, I have quite a few clients. Uh, I switched to online as well as in person once COVID hit for the simple sake that there was restrictions there. But now it's more of a hybrid model of, you know, I do both. And uh, yeah, quite a quite a few clients on the old plate. Nice, nice. I know you, there was a few posts that you had put up, but, but it was a while ago. Are you still um, taking on clients or are you pretty full at the moment? Presently, I'm full, uh, but oh, okay. I have I do have, you know, instructors who, you know, my, my coaches underneath me who, uh, you know, have always been there for if they have availability that, you know, we, we go through these things together and pick brains together uh, to ensure, you know, these these athletes are taken care of. So if there are inquiries that come in, uh, I'll, I'll respond to them directly as always and kind of pick their brain on what they're looking to do. And if one of my uh, you know, right hand man can can take care of it, we'll we'll take care of them and uh, make sure that they're well serviced. But um, as of right now, I, I think I've got 72 clients and that's quite the workload. <laughs> nice. That's good to hear for you, right? Yeah, not much attrition on my side of things. <laughs> that's it's it's a good Yeah, it's a good problem to have, right? Um were you ever coached? Like are you or are you self-coached? I had a couple instructors, um, and I do reach out to people who I, I trust and eyeball for. Uh, but when I first started, it was more of like, hey, you know, a little tidbit from the guy in the gym who who maybe had been there a while. Um, 2010, I, I hired a coach for some quick workouts and quick eyeball up in Portland. And then uh, from there, I said, you know, I, I pretty much get the gist of all this. And uh, if I ever had questions, I'd I'd inquire, but uh, I would do a lot of anecdotal, you know, trial and error. And uh, since then, I, I really have coached myself. Um, there's there's some people I trust online now that I'll, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, we got about four weeks. What do you think? And, and I'll send some photos out because if you're if you're on that uh, death and despair, you know, time of contest prep where your brain's maybe not super accurate, I like to say, hey, I'm going to get a secondhand opinion here. Because I might not be seeing reality anymore, and uh, usually those um, individuals I reach out for um, are very kind and very helpful, and they're also competitors or, or coaches like myself who uh, they know the game and they know what we we should and shouldn't do. So uh, they give me great feedback, and I always uh, show my gratitude uh, to them as well. Nice, nice. Anyone I might know, is it within the natural bodybuilding community? I would assume, or uh, there's an Australian coach, Brandon Kempter. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So he, he really had, it was a good eyeball for me this last year. Um, Teddy Graham's on, on Instagram. Uh, Teddy was super helpful and a very, uh, very cool guy to, to chit chat with and, you know, talk about the game. And, um, he helped me, you know, with an eyeball and just some coaches, uh, in the Northwest along with the coaches here, um, at my gym that, we're able to say, hey, you know what? You you got a little bit more you can scrape off. But it was funny at the very end how many opinions were were changing. Like I had some people like, no, 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 you're good. Like, you know, what I considered to be like almost there. They're like, you need to just call it good here and, and fill out. You're you're looking nuts. Um, and other people are like, nah, grind, grind it all, you know, Let's see if you can be skinless and uh keep pushing. And and I think the answer lied somewhere in the middle. Uh, right. looking back. Because like I spoke previously i started grabbing a little bit of lean tissue up top in order to get the last little bit off and um 
would that have changed placing? Probably not. Um, maybe my final form would have been a little bit uh, more fulfilling though. Nice, nice. Teddy, you're talking about Bandeli, the Greek? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brother of Zeus, the son of Hercules? Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that just, you know, you guys are helping each other out where it's needed, right? I think that's that's the cool thing about, I find, with uh, within natural bodybuilding, just the camaraderie. Everybody's pretty welcoming. Everybody's willing to help each other out as far as maybe what you're mentioning, even with the podcast. Like, it's uh, it's been really cool for the most part, at least my experience. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think the community is wonderful. I've never had a bad experience in any show or event, and uh, everybody's always been super welcoming. And backstage, when I you know compete with fellow WNBF pros, it's always a you know a, 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 an awesome moment of, of love and respect because you're looking at each other like, hey, you know what? You you did this with exercise and nutrition, unbelievable. Um, and the shows that i've done that are untested um it's not that same feeling backstage it's it's a lot more animosity and keeping yourself and kind of eyeballing each other and uh different completely different atmospheres um yeah. between the two yeah interesting yeah that's um you're not the first to have mentioned that by the way for those who have also competed in like mpc and ifbb well, IFBB is more so near the end of their career for the most part with some of the guys i've spoken to like martin daniels and good in who i'm sure you're familiar with right yeah but yeah legends just to touch on your competitive history like you're a promoter and a judge for the wmbf you have you promote your own show out in oregon i have two shows now oregon and washington yes oregon and washington okay so let's talk about the how at well where it started and how you transitioned into that position so take us back to your first show my first show was 2008 was an NPC national contest in, in Washington. And then uh, I, I really fell in love with the sport after that event. Uh, the promoter was great. The show was awesome. Uh, I met a lot of people there. I was really hooked and uh, essentially started being every year thereafter uh, with a goal of winning a, a novice title. Uh, so 2008, I could be there. 2009, I did an NPC um untested show uh, the goal was to do that same tested show the next year which i was preparing for but i had uh, overtrained and uh, i'd gotten injured and ill and uh, had to take a few months off to recover and i ended up doing a show later in 2009 uh, in an untested event where i think i got third out of uh, 11 novice guys um then i decided okay well i still gotta improve and uh i decided to do another uh, npc natural show the next year, 2010, and I finally won a, a novice title. Uh, so I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to do the Open, well, we, we've got a lot of improvements to make. So I spent a whole year off. My first little year off was 2011, coaching others to get on stage. And then 2012, I competed in the Open at a NPC natural show, and I, I won that class. Uh, and then I did a untested show a week later a week or two later um i ended up getting uh, i think fifth out of five in the untested uh npc show in the open uh open light heavyweight class and i said well these guys were were crazy so i've got to take another time off so 2013 i took off and 2014 is where i really felt like that was the first year that i looked like a a real bodybuilder if you would um 
where, you know, there wasn't as many weak spots and everything was pretty proportionate and I was pretty dang lean. And 2014, I decided I'd do uh, two different natural shows. I'd do the NPC natural show that I, I originated on in Vancouver. And then I, a week later, I would try uh, another Federation drug tested show. And uh, so I did both of those and it was uh, it was a it was a hard year um, for me mentally because I ended up losing the NPC natural show to somebody who ended up actually being on drugs that never got drug tested. And I was like, well, you know, that's the level of testing there was uh, uh, not not really there. It's just kind of natural that year. Um, and, and that that was hard. But I, I lost the overall to this individual who had been on DNP, which is a uh, a metabolite of dynamite, a, a pretty hardcore drug. Uh, they had lost like 12 pounds the last week or two in order to look dry as bone and uh, beat me. And so I said, well, at least that won't happen next week. And I ended up doing the uh, 2014 Washington State Natural, which as, uh, at the time was an NANBF show. Um, and I'd never done a non-NPC show. So that was all new experience to me. The promoters, Kevin and Linda James, were just so welcoming. And uh, I ended up getting on stage with 11 other guys in the, at that time, tall class. And NBF had height classes for men bodybuilding. Um, and now those guys were on stage for about 20, 25 minutes. I'd never been on stage so long. I thought that was quite the treat. And uh, ended up getting second to the, the winner and the overall winner, who... You know, judging by everything, uh, he he definitely had me beat. Um, so he went on to win the overall, and it was a, a great experience. But then I got a call a week or two later from Kevin Linda James saying that he had uh, failed the your analysis. Wow. So I, at first I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, well, so you're the winner of the class. So I go, okay. And they're like, but you can't get the pro card because um, – uh, you weren't in the overall. So the, the second place guy in the overall will be getting the pro card. You, you're going to get the first place trophy. Uh, send back your second place trophy in the mail. So while I'm doing all this, my brain's kind of racing. And I'm like, hold on a second. I just lost to two guys at two separate natural shows and federations who were both on drugs. And I I was just like really taken aback. Like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is this sport? worth pursuing so it, it was a good six months then where like i had to really question if i wanted to continue with the sport because it was a really bad experience to you know i'm i'm okay with getting beat by guys who are on a level playing field but um when you're supposed to be and you're not uh that was that was a hard pill to swallow so uh 2014 was rough at the end of it 2015 it kind of went into it slowly and and was really focusing on others um Started picking up a little powerlifting at that time to kind of change my mentality of what I wanted to do. And I decided by uh, mid-2015, I thought, like, oh, I'm going to give it one more try. I'm going to give it one more go. If, if this one isn't it, then, you know, because I want a pro card at that time, or I want to win an overall. One of the two. Like, couldn't win an NPC overall, even if it was a tested show, and I couldn't win uh, uh, a pro card in the natural ranks. And so... I decided in 2016 I'd do uh, one more attempt, and I dieted all year long. Hardest prep of my life. I said, I'm not going to leave a stone unturned. Uh, very much the the Marine mentality. I'm going to apply everything, and I'm going to be completely shredded for the show. Uh, I was lean enough to where um, I did a show just a walk. I was down the road 13 weeks out, an NPC untested show, and I got second in the open by like a point um, to the overall winner, who was Mr. Oregon that year. And... Uh, 
that was 13 weeks out from where I ended up getting lean enough for my show uh, because I, I was very gung-ho at that point in time. And uh, I, I did win the 2016 um, Northwest Royal by John Nickerson. That was a WNBF, IBF show. And um, I got my pro card in 2016. And then I did uh, one more NPC show a week later just for fun since all my athletes would be there anyway. And um, I think I got second and third respectively in those classes and then I kind of retired. I had my twins um, shortly after. I really focused on business, and I I didn't compete until the end of 2019. So three year stint there. I uh, decided to come back to it. I did an OCB show to start it off, and then I did another OCB show, and then I was getting ready for the Washington State Natural again as a pro. And then COVID hit, so I dieted. I don't know, because I only want to do the Washington State Natural. I was doing the OCB shows for something different and something fun and didn't really care much for how I placed there. Um, I won them both, but there was no one there, so didn't really mean anything. Uh, so that prep, which was 42 weeks long, ended abruptly because of COVID. Um, that was the hardest post-contest meal of my life, by the way, trying to eat like a, some calories because then they put weight back on and not having closure or conclusion. Uh, not the best. And then I decided in 2021 that, okay, shows are firing again. I, I was doing a mini cut and promoting the WBF, and I decided I'd jump into a, a contest season. Did three shows. I won them all, uh, overalls, and then first places. And uh, then I did the Washington State Natural to conclude it, and I lost to um, Eddie Saldana, and that was the guy that you know, beat me for glutes and hamstring. Like, man, I, I didn't like that, so... He's a young, he's a young guy, Eddie, right? Yeah, Eddie's like ten years younger than I. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's uh yeah ten years younger. That's right. He's I think he's like nineteen ninety five. His Instagram is like Eddie nineteen ninety five or something like that. So that's how I know that. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. But um, wow. Okay, fascinating. So with all that that happened, I'm curious. How old were you when you first retired? That small retirement period. Um, thirty one. Okay. I think that, that was uh, 2016. I got my pro card and it was like, okay, it's time to deal with these um, twin preemies that were in the NICU. You know, that was that was priority one. Let's talk about why you do this, the competitive side of things. Obviously, you retired for a very specific reason. You yes. were having your kids. You wanted to prioritize your family. But also, you were a little bit taken back by the natural circuit or not the natural circuit, well, what was supposed to be the natural circuit. And then there's guys who were on PEDs competing and yeah. winning and then obviously getting their title strip when they've gotten caught. So what I'd like to know is uh, how did that, did that in a way influence your approach moving forward as far as competition? And also what is what would you say is the main reason why you compete? And what drives you to compete? That, that's a great question. And I think that's what really I came to terms with in 2015 when that happened in 2014 was, um, yeah, why, why am I doing this? And, and before it was able to win titles or, or to get first place or to get the pro card or get an overall. And uh, I realized then that you can't control that. Uh, you it's out of your hands and you might have a freak show up who's just unbelievable like Eddie and uh, 
I, I realized that the only thing I could control was to beat my previous self is uh, to progress. That, that's one thing I have in my control that no one can take away from me is progressing beyond where I was previously. So I took that mentality and I started applying it and I go, wow, you know, that, that allows me to always walk away with a W no matter what happens now. You know, if I win it overall, if I don't, if I get first, um, can I exceed my previous best? And, and that is what I teach, you know, my athletes and my people now too, to have that mentality because you can have a very well-deserving athlete and someone could have trained harder and longer and uh, been through more tedious uh, preparations, but not walk away with that win. And that can feel very dismantling to the mentality of someone who may otherwise deserve it, but maybe someone just beat them fair and square and they were just a little better. Um, then what can we do? What can we look at? Well, did you beat old you? If the answer is yes, then a round of applause. Mm -hmm. That is that is something that you can always hang your hat on. Uh, and that's how I kind of look at it these days is I don't let my athletes get on stage unless they beat their previous self. And I don't let myself get on stage unless I beat my previous self. That makes sense. I like that. It's good for the... I would say it seems like it can be very encouraging when it's done this way. And I think that's important. Well, what's interesting also is that let's take other sports for a second here. Like we look at professional football and when I say football, I'm talking soccer, but even, and I stick with that because I, I, I have more knowledge of that than let's say American football, but let's take uh, soccer, even basketball to an extent. Uh, I'm sure this applies I'm sure it applies to all sports, really, but where you have someone who's young and they and they enter the pro ranks, 16, 17, 18, and they're playing against guys that are 38, 39, 40. Some of these young guys, yes, while there's a skill component that needs to be developed, some of these guys are just genetic outliers. And they they can really, even though they're facing these guys who are more experienced and who are really talented. There might be a young guy that just comes out of nowhere and could blow everybody out the water, even in natural bodybuilding, where there is like this time component that's required in order to for you to develop your physique. Like we saw it at Worlds to an extent with, I want to say Dirk Emmerich, right? He's like, yeah. or, and Brian, uh, or sorry, Benjamin uh, Schuster, right? Ben, so we, right? we saw that. Yeah. So, and I think that's really interesting because with natural bodybuilding, of course, if you are doing things right, on the training side, on the nutrition side, and you do have a genetic component that's in your favor for this, well, you're just getting better over time for the most part, right? But yeah. yeah, but again, there's that young kid, just super talented. And when I say talented, genetically gifted, and if he's doing everything right, and he's been doing this for five, six years already, like he started at 15 or 16 or 14, and he progressed to about 21, 22, oh, that guy's potentially going to blow away the competition right and again we saw that to an extent with uh benjamin and, and dirk right yeah they're they're super young and they're obviously you know uh, pretty dedicated to the sport on top of it but uh you know those are things again that can sometimes feel like unfair um but if you go through that mentality it doesn't really benefit you much except for you know hey that's that's a level right there but um what is it that I can control to, to exceed upon? And maybe we can know in the back of our you know mind that there's a certain echelon I'm trying to reach. But uh, first, you know, before I hit uh, you know, level five, I've got to get to level two, three, and four. And uh, that 
that really has helped, you know, myself and, you know, my, my conversations with athletes about their progressions and what's realistic because you don't want to get dismayed um, when you're just beginning this uh, experience because it is an experience and a journey and uh, you'll learn a lot in the process about yourself if you just, you know, one step in front of the next. Right, right. And, of course, like we just what we were touching on earlier is like with, at least with natural bodybuilding, if you're doing everything in the right way, for the most part, again, if you're guided in the right way with your training, your nutrition, your recovery, all that, you are getting better over time, hopefully, right? Um, But that's the idea where you are getting better over time. So there's a lot you can improve on as you age. And we've seen it. We've seen guys like Marshall Johnson, Jeff Alberts, yourself, right? So it's, it's, that's the cool thing about natural bodybuilding. There's a huge longevity component there and the quality of longevity if you're doing things, again, appropriately, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I really like that aspect of natural bodybuilding versus what I see in the enhanced realms is that you know, we can still be competitive in those 40s and 50s. And uh, that's pretty cool. I can't say that with many sports at all. And uh, I, have, I have my fair share of great masters athletes, 50s, 60s, 70s, who continue to compete and have something to still, you know, uh, progressing in, in those later years where it's healthy it's helpful it's uh it's something where they can be competitive and and, and have a good time in their life and it'll only it'll benefit them so uh, the sport is uh, a gift when when gone about it the correct way i love it i love it and uh final thoughts here um is there anybody within the natural circuit that's inspired you from a competitive side as well or even training like i know i you know I can speak for myself, but I'm curious about you. Like, as an example, is there a particular natural bodybuilder that you're that like just caught your attention and that kind of drove you towards natural bodybuilding at a younger age? What was was there any of that that happened? Yeah, I'd, I'd say quite a few times. Um, I think the number one would probably be Kendall Richmond, though, um, simply because right around that 2015, 2016, 2017 timeframe, um, I. I was at the Muscle Mayhem with one of our athletes, and I saw him backstage, and I, I was just so utterly impressed by his physique that I was like, "Hold on a second, um, you know." And he, he's a good ten years younger than I as well, but to see the level of development he had, a very Frank Zane esque physique, and I was like, "You can get here drug free. Like, we, you don't need to. You don't need to be bigger than this. This is beautiful. This is aesthetic. Uh, it, it, it's it's unbelievable that you can look like that without." enhancement if that's possible then i'm i'm going to go get to work uh because that was very cool uh to see and uh, uh I, I i'm a firm believer that at the highest level of the sports like if you're look at these athletes you're going to be like you know do, you wouldn't say oh brian DeCosta needs to put on 10 pounds of mass like you look at that and just go holy crap like what a physique um and so i think that getting to that level it's such an accomplishment and it's so cool to be able to do that naturally. Yes. Oh, totally agree with that statement there or those words there, because yeah, it's uh, when you see the, what the guys were doing in the seventies, I mean, a lot of them were enhanced, if not all of them competing at the Olympia and the IFBB, Frank Zane, you mentioned him of course, but now like, I don't know if it's just the evolution of, information the way trainings approach the fact that we know that natural body but you can do this naturally and if given the appropriate length of time you can have a physique that almost emulates that of the golden era but naturally yes. and maybe there's 
Yeah, to an extent, I would say, because, of course, uh, if you take a guy like Brian DaCosta, yeah, I mean, his stats alone prove that, mm-hmm. right? Just the stats. But I think that is really cool. But again, it's giving that length of time because I think a lot of the guys in the golden era, I don't think they gave that time before they hopped on anything. Like, I don't think, I don't, like, if if Frank Saint gave himself 10, 12 years, would it have been, it would have been interesting to see, right? Or, or 15 years, what he would have done naturally and would it have lined up with what he, with where he was? Um, well, obviously when you're enhanced, obviously you're, you're going to have an edge regardless, but what would his physique look like naturally versus enhanced? It would have been interesting to see if there was that length of time uh, given that's required for natural bodybuilding. But anyhow, it's uh, it is really cool to see that just the, the level of competition and how it's evolved since again, the eighties and nineties versus now with guys who are young, like Kendall, who is young, he's got, he's 10 years younger than, than yourself. And he's won like a world championship in the WMBF. And he's doing great. He did great things in the natural circuit. Uh, you know, Dirk, Benjamin Schuster. I mean, there's a whole list of young guys that are crushing it. Eddie, right? Like you'd mentioned. So I think that's pretty cool to see the young guys. And I don't know if they're just guided in the right way or, again, that genetic component. But either way, it's still impressive. It, it sure is. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got to bounce, unfortunately. I got my yeah. next one. Uh, of course. It, so good speaking with you. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I, I feel like I could do this for for hours with I truly love the sport and I can tell uh, you do as well. And, and, you know, you know, all the names it seems. So, so that, uh, that makes me smile because it means these people are, are making waves and uh, the, the more people who are inspired, the, the better the sport is. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast, taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners are going to really enjoy this episode. If they want to get in touch, I'm going to link all your sites in the description is there anything final that you anything final that you'd want to mention yeah if you're just in the pacific northwest uh we're we're here to help you out um online as well but if you're a competitive bodybuilder and you want to you know jump on a drug-free stage uh we do promote the inbf and wnbf and it's just inbfnorthwest.com uh you'll find all the the link resources on there uh we'll have a great 2024 national bodybuilding season and we, we love seeing, uh, you know, what's possible drug free. Awesome. Awesome. So definitely check that out, folks. Hit the links in the description. You can, it'll take you right to Aaron's sites, uh, the show, etc. that he's promoting. And if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to share and tag us on Instagram at longevity muscle. And also check out the longevity muscle YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe because it does help grow the channel and the show. And please leave us that five-star review if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes. Thank you so much once again, and we'll catch you in the next one. 